Jesus, we are lost, and we thank you that we found him. No, Lord, that he found us. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you here to hear the word of the Lord? I'm here to bring you the word of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. To preach out of the word of the Lord. Now, I'm not preaching a feeling gospel here. I'm preaching the real word of the Lord. And I say to you this morning, my friend, my brother, my sister, sir, madam, whatever you want to be called for. The word of the Lord brings life. And you can live in that word. Amen. So we continue this morning in our study. We're looking at this wonderful letter that John wrote to this church. This beloved apostle, this pastor of the church. He passed the churches, he preached in those churches, and he wrote a letter to them. And we are so privileged this morning to read this letter. But bear in mind that when this letter was written to them, they didn't have chapter divisions. It was just a scroll or a parchment. And he would write the letter to them and they would bring it into their fellowship, into their churches. And, and one man would stand up and everybody is so eager, sitting there and waiting. They just want to hear from this beloved apostle, this beloved pastor. What did he say now? Because when he was with us, he was speaking God's words with us. He was an eyewitness of the Lord himself. Think of that. We want to hear what John tells us. The words that John spoke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let me say what he wrote down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, became the Word of God. This is what we hold in your hands this morning. This is what we read. It's the Word of God. Eagerly they sat there and they are so passionately hungry. What is he going to show us? What is he going to tell us? But not only that, I want to take you back to the man who wrote those down. He is now loving, writing a love letter to the people he loves. Have you ever wrote and written a love letter in your life? But the young people won't know what that is now. We text love to one another. Digital media, yes. But in my days, when I went to the army, there wasn't phones and cell phones. It was pen and paper. And I could... Remember, as I write that letter to my beloved wife, Leonie, and I write it there and I say, Dear loving Toki, oh, how I missed you, and all of these nice things in there. In my mind, I could see her, I could picture her, and the more I could picture her, the more lovingly my letters become. I won't give you the whole letter, okay? But I just say to you that I can understand sitting there writing somebody to somebody I'm so passionate in love with, I couldn't wait to put the stamp on and to put it in there. And I couldn't wait for that letter to arrive on the other side. 
And then I go to the little tiki box. Who knows what's a tiki box still? I'm giving away my years here. That's where you put money in, okay, to talk. And, and I get my opportunity and you put your money in and you talk for the first time. I hear that most beautiful voice of my beloved, my love of my life. How are you? Did you get the letter? Because what did I do in that letter? I poured my whole heart into that letter. Somehow, somehow, I wanted the words on that piece of paper, the love that I put into that paper, somehow I wanted that same love to flow over into her heart. And this is now the time of truth over the phone. Have you received the letter? Oh, that was such a beautiful letter. Then I knew it worked. And now I'm waiting for that letter back. And you know how wonderful it is when they come around and they give the post. You know, the people who's in the army, they know. And they give the post. Is there a letter for me? Is there a letter for me? Not today. But perhaps tomorrow. And then when that letter comes, you know what she did? Oh, you've got it. <laughs> because you wrote a letter as well. You know what it happened? I would pick it up. And she took some perfume and sprayed it on there. And I would go, oh, it, it smells so beautiful. And I open it up and, and somehow, dear friends, the love that she poured into those letters written in ink, and, and somehow it found a magical thing with the smell of perfume. It, I could feel the love just come and welve into my heart. This is the same. You know, when I, when I smell, when I smell the, the letter of God, I know they smell like paper, but I smell the aroma of God. I'm not starting a new thing here. You say, where did you get that? Where did you get this fragrance and aroma thing? Go and read in your Bible. Paul talks about this. He talks about the fragrance of God. How wonderful is that? I feel the passion of this man when he wrote down these words to his beloved. How many times in this letter over the last few weeks has he said, little children? How many times have he went and counted it that he said, beloved? Somehow, he sits there in his agony and he writes wherever he was on the Isle of Patmos. He sits there and he wants to pour out the love of God in his heart into this letter. And he wants that to come over to you. And the letter flies off the paper and becomes the love of God in your life. That's how I read the word. When I read this word, I think of Him. And I think of the pouring out of the love of God into His heart, which He shares with us. Let that passion for the Word of God never depart from you. Never. I've, I thought this morning I'm going to put a female voice to the reading of the Word. I've asked uh, Kylie to read the passage for us before we explore into that. So listen as he reads this. If you've got your Bible this morning, I want you to open it up in John chapter 3. I haven't got it on the board there, but listen. In John chapter 3 verse 10, Kylie's going to read it until the last of that chapter up to verse 24. Praise the Lord. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth no righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. 
For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whosoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. How wonderful is that? That's the word of God. So powerful and so wonderful. You know, the scripture goes on, and I want to continue on just a little bit further with this. From chapter 4, verse 7, right until chapter 5, verse 2, he talks about this love. Now, let me read that for you and listen how many times you find the word love here. He says in John chapter 4, 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another for the love of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God is love. Let's all say it. God is love. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Listen to that. He sent His Son into the world so that we may live through Him. He says live through Him. You see, the world lives in two ways today. Some who don't live through Jesus and some who live through Him. So evidently. In this the love, not toward what we loved, but God, but He loved us in, 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 uh, and sent His Son to be provision for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us. How do you know that God abides in you if we? Yeah. And His love has been perfected in us. Think of this. The perfection of God's love is in us. His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him. How? How, John? And He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior into the world. 
John himself says there, I've seen this and I'm testifying it to you. Whoever confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Is that your confession? Are you confessing this morning that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you really confessing that with your life, with your words, with your mind? Are you? You see, that's the difference between us and other religions. We are not a religion. We are a relationship. Religions are doing that. A relationship sends His Son to live amongst us. And we start a relationship with Him. And He says it right there, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. I think I need to read this with a powerful voice because it's powerful words this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. How, John? He says it again. God is love and he who abides in him, love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected amongst us. Twice now he uses the word perfected. So what perfects it in, in us? It's him. That we may be bold in the day of judgment because He is, so are we in this world. My sister, there is no fear in love. Isn't it wonderful? My brother, there is no fear in love. Think about the love that you see in the world. There is no fear in love. Fear shouldn't bring forth, uh, love shouldn't bring forth fear. He says, there is no fear in love. And I'll give you the verse if you want to remember this to make it and to learn it off by it. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone say, I love God. Oh, I love God. Do we have a lot of those people? Oh, I love Him. I love God. Let it be written in songs, in poems, wherever you go. I love God. I love God. He doesn't stop there, the verse. He says it the following. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You see your brother. You see him. You see her. And you still hate them. Now how can you love a God that you can't see? You see Peter. Peter is really clever. He wrote this as well in 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Him whom we do not see, yet we love. How can you love somebody you can't see? But the ones you see, you can't even love them. You hate them. What's going on here? Listen. And this commandment we have from Him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You know what the word must mean? It means must. <laughs> you must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. Who believes that? Can you show with your hands? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves Him 
who begot also loves him and who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. How many times is he using the word love? This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and the commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I love the letter of John. It is so powerful. So friends, today we talk about love. The love. They say about John when he became so frail that he couldn't stand up and preach anymore and couldn't travel around. They say about this man that when they came past him, he would only say, or when he get an opportunity to talk to the flock, to the people, he would only stand up and he would say, little children, love one another. Over and over and over again. Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. This old pastor, this apostle, little children, love one another. And, and they, he said it so often that they became wary of this, these young people. And they came to him and they say, you say the same thing over and over again. Why do you say it over and over again so many times? So often. Come on, John, what's going on? And he says, that is the Lord's command. This is what Jerome wrote down, one of the early church fathers about John. He says, that is the Lord's command. And if that's the only thing you do, You've done well. Think of that in a society where we have so many Bible studies that people want to learn the Bible so much more. We've got, uh, you know, course after course and we've got all of this. Nothing wrong with that. But people stand up here and say, I've got a degree. I've got, I'm a theologian, a theologian. I'm all of these things. John says this morning to you and to me and to those people, to everybody, little children love one another. The word of the Lord is love letter. It is a love letter. It is a letter of, of a God who loved you and me so much. And like I said earlier, he penned it down. He's passioning this to live in our hearts, to come over to us. The previous weeks we listened how we need to obey in righteousness. Now he comes to love and he touches every single one of us. Love one another. You see, he writes it there in verse 11. He says, for this is the message which you've heard from the beginning. If you open up your Bible from the beginning, it is the message of love. It's the message of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning. What happened in the beginning? God saw that this whole earth was a formless void. And through his love and compassion, he made it form uh, fashionable. He fashioned it. He ushered it. Bara is the word in Hebrew where he says he calls something out of non-existence into existence. Bara. It's a powerful word. It's not evolution. It's not a boom and a big bang. He, God himself, he spoke a word and bara. He called everything that you see around us into existence. And then he formed this earth into a recognizable mass. That's the word asha in Hebrew. Asha means that if you've got a whole heap of planks here and you say, I'm going to build a dollhouse out of this. Now when you look at it, you can't see the dollhouse. 
But when you craftily put it all together and it looks beautiful, what have you done? You've, you've created something. God, through His love, did that. And you and I should feel privileged, privileged to be children of God. Let me say a few words about love. First of all, the Bible contained the biggest message of love ever, ever. You take all of the love books that's been written, the poems, every single movie they make around love, they is dim in comparison, in comparison with the love and the letter of the Word of God. What is that? That God sent His Son because He loved the world so much. He sent His Son. The word used here is the Greek word agapo. It, it is agape, the word that He uses here. When he says that you heard from me that, that we should love one another, use the word agape, it means a sacrificial love. In, in Greek there is many words for love. There's five words for love in Greek. In English it's translate, translated owing to one word, only one word, which we use for so many things that we love. I get in my workplace and I go, man, I love this job. I love this office, I love this chair. And then I get into my car and I go, man, I love this car. And I drive home in this car. And when I stop, I've got a small, two small dogs and Cody. You know, animals is beautiful with love. They always love you. It doesn't matter. They always come running up to you and they jump and they're so happy to see you. And oh, Cody comes up and he stretches him and he wants a tummy wrap and he licks, you know. And I go, man, I love this dog. And then my beautiful wife walks around the corner and I say, honey, I love you. What love is it? We know what love it is, isn't it? Is it the same love I had for the dog? I'd be in serious trouble if I say that. <laughs> she's listening to the messages, Andre. She's listening to this, okay? She's going to listen to this and at this point she's going to sit there and go, okay, buddy, what's your next words? Is it the same love I've got for my car that I've got for my dog? No, no. The Greeks have got... And that's why I love the language. You see, they've got a, a word like eros. Eros is where the English erotic love comes from. Which they make so cheap in the world right now. Erotic love. For some people it's only a, a, about the erotic love. And you know, God created erotic love in, in marriage. In a couple. And then there is filial love. Filial love is a brotherly love. It's a commitment love. And then there is two others, but the one that I'm coming to is agape, the sacrificial love. This is not an emotion, it's a choice. Who knows that? Love is not an emotion. You get so many people, they say, oh, it's an emotion. I, oh, this emotion came over me and then I loved you. And, and now the emotion is gone and I don't love you anymore. No. That's not how it works. Love is a choice. It is a choice, a decision that you make. And someone said it, it is a commitment, not a feeling. And I like that. But when we talk about a commitment, we talk about a filial love. This is more than that. This is where you sacrifice yourself. You see, let me just tell you quickly, in a marriage, when a, a husband and a wife comes together, it's not I give 50% and you get 50% and now we've got 100. That math is wrong. I know on paper it works, but it does not work. It does not work because 50-50 is not sacrificial. It is commitment. 
and what a marriage is looking for. A godly marriage, by the way, is not only commitment. We don't go in front of God and exchange rings to make a commitment. No, no. When we come into, and this is why I believe young people need to get marriage uh, training these days, that they know what they're going into. When I come in there, the day when I stood with my lovely wife, I said, I sacrifice my life for you. And she said in front of God, I sacrifice my life for you. My life for you. A hundred plus a hundred makes a hundred in God's math. I know you're going to say afterwards, 200 brother, you've got it wrong there. But if you give 50 and 50 and think the marriage is going to work, it ain't going to work. And you see, the marriage is a sign. It, it's in, 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 John, in Ephesians chapter 5. It compares the marriage with what? With the love for the church of God for us. He gave every... It's not as if he turned up at the cross and he goes... Hey, look guys, I'm going to give 50% here, okay? Did he? Could he? No. So it is totally. And love in the Bible is a command. You are commanded to love. Oh, but I don't like his nose, man. You know, it's people with that kind of nose. I don't, I just got something. You've got to love him with the love of God. The love of God. And he writes about this and it's so powerful. You see, when, it's, when I say it's a command, it's not just my words. In John chapter 13, verse 34, our Lord Himself, He says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another. This is out of Jesus' words. You see, when I read that passage to you, and when Kylie read the passage, I counted the word love, He uses the word love 38 times. So love is so important to this apostle and to Jesus. It was important for Jesus and to John. And he writes this here in John chapter 13, 34. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He gave his life for us. You ought to love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now I just want to give you four levels. And then we're going to eat and we're going to go home this afternoon and think about this. Four levels that you and I can operate on that John was writing about. Four levels. First of all, there's the level of murder. You know that people operate on that level? We all know that, don't we? You open up your newspapers and you see how many people are killed. Yes? It's a level of murder. You've got a level of hatred. It's a lot of people who live on that level of hatred. And that, that hatred will occupy their lives. They, that, that will influence the language that comes out of their mouths. The Bible says that what the heart is full of will come over your mouth. You will speak what's in your heart, what's in your mind. A lot of people operate on that level in their personal lives. And then there's a level of indifference. You know what indifference is? I don't care. I didn't say that right. So that I don't care. I, don't, I just don't care. There's a lot of indifferences in your world right now. And then there is this level of Christian compassion, the love of God. Now, remember what, what the Bible says. The Word of God is for us a mirror. And we need to now mirror ourselves on which level are we. And it's not to say you just operate on one level. You can jump between those levels at any times. But love needs to be the same always. Now, let's quickly look into this. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, as Kylie read to us, he says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain. Listen, here it comes out. Not as Cain was of the wicked one and murdered his brother 
And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. This is the example in Genesis chapter 4. You remember the story about Cain and Abel? So they both were offering up to God. Uh, Abel was looking after the animals, the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a, a farmer. He worked in the ground. And both of them came to the Lord and they offered to God. What did Abel offer? He offered some of the animal. And what did uh, 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 Cain offer? He, uh, what he did. And God accepted Abel's offer. So what did he do? He killed his brother. You see, Cain was operating on this level of murder. He was killing his brother. Murder is the lowest level on which one may live. This is the area where Satan himself lives. is on murder. You say, but uh, I'm not a murderer. Hang in there. Just listen what he says. This is the area where Cain was so jealous of his brother and so envious of his brother that he came to a point that he killed him. Physically killed him. The first man who was killed by another man, Abel, was killed by Cain. And this is the very operator on. You see, the thing about Cain which is really interesting for me is that he was not an atheist. He brought a sacrifice. And remember when we talk about these things, we don't talk about the world. He's writing this to the children, to the church. He said this in the church. Watch out that there's not murderers, people in the church sitting with a murderous heart. Cain was offering. He's not an atheist. He's not as if he's an unbeliever. He presented and he worshipped just like his brother. But you see, the thing is, the devil masquerade as the children of God as well. He warned us before about this. Both these two attended religious gatherings, both Cain and Abel. They sat with their father when their father told them about God. Both of them sat there. It's not as if you could see he didn't know that. But you see, the real test here is his love for his brother. That was the real test. And the thing is, he did not do it. He didn't love his brother. In John chapter 8, verse 44, uh, Jesus, he says himself, Your father, you are the father of the devil and desires your father. You want to. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth. This is Satan. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. You see, he operates on that level. On that murder level. It is the lowest level that you can go to. So what was the difference between Cain and Abel? It was faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, he says it, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that there was righteous God testifying of his gifts, and through it began the dead still speaking. Now somebody said to me once, the way that, they, that Cain could see that his offer was uh, accepted is because Abel's, when he offered his smoke, went straight up into the air. And when Cain offered his smoke, went sideways. That's not true. Oh, it went down, yeah. That's not true. No, God looked at the heart to the intent of the... You remember when they were looking for a king to take over from Saul? They brought all of these great men out, Jesse's sons, but there was this young boy 
And every time that Sammy came and he says, this is the man, God said, no, 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 it's not the man. Why? Because God looks at the heart. You see, here today the Spirit is already looking into each one of your hearts. Already in my heart. At what level are you? You see, this level, the murderous level, is not a good level to be on. You get two sides of it. One is the actual thing. I reckon... I reckon if people are kept back from murdering others because of the law, they don't want to be in trouble. But if you let it go, which will come once the spirit, the restraint is going to be removed, there will be lawlessness on this earth and people will kill just for the sake of it. Shall I say in some countries, in some cities there, life is worth nothing. People are murderers, they live on this one. This is the lowest level. But then you get the level of hatred. You see, before John said this, he said we should love one another, not as Cain who was a murderer. So Cain operates as his father, who is the devil, on that level. At that level. Then we find hatred. Listen to this. 1 John 3.13 Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. See, he uses the word hate. That means disdain you. We know that he have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Whoa! Have you seen that? Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The only difference between hating, listen to this now. The only difference between hating and murder is the outward, uh, outward act. Think of that. If somebody hates in their heart, the only thing they haven't done yet is the outward act. Hatred is the next step before you get to murder. And this is what he warns about here now. You see, but there's, there's good hate and there's bad hate. Have you know, uh, do you know that? There is good hate. And also, as love is a choice, hate is also a choice. You choose to hate somebody. You choose to love somebody. So what is the good hate then? If we choose this hate, in Psalm 97 verse 10 it's written, You who love the Lord hate evil. Hate sin. Hate evil. God hates evil. God hates sin. You say, how can I put the word hate and to with God, yes, it's written there. God hates sin. And He hates evil. And we should as well. He preserved the soul for this, of the saint. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. But we talk here. John is writing about the bad hate here. You see, hatred is a poison that destroys from within. I remember I loved apples when I was younger. Still love them, but now I peel them off. I'm not old, okay? I'm just, I, I choose to do it that way, okay? But I remember one day I came and there was this really red apple. Man, and the apple was calling me. I didn't go for the apple. Have you, have you been there? You walk past and you go, whoa, that apple looks really attractive today. Let me walk over there. And you walk over to the apple and it's red, man. You pick it up and you go, wow, this is a great apple. And Have you done this, some of you as well? Somehow you think if you, if you polish it and it becomes really shiny, it's more, it's more sweeter and tastier. 
Well, that's me, not you, but I sometimes think that. And I go crazy, you know, like the cricket players, you know. They go crazy on this thing. You know, man, that thing looks so great. And I can taste it before I even took a bite. Uh, that happens to you as well sometimes? You are so hungry and you know, and, and all of these, these juices in your mind go, I know exactly what taste is going to come up now. Prepare yourself for that. He talks to my tongue butts and my butts go, I just want to bite into this thing. And I know what I'm going to tell you now has happened to you before, uh, to you as well. And the next moment you go, ah, nah, I want to just get it in there. My taste buds is it's going to taste sweet and everything. And as you go, ah, you bite into that worm. <laughs> you see, what I just proved is true because everybody's tasting that right now. Because I can see it on your face. I can see a few of you going, ah. Oh. <laughs> on the outside it looked perfect. But it was destroyed from within. You see, that worm was somehow planted inside there and it got time to grow and to grow. And around the worm it, 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 it affects everything around it and it rottens it actually. You know, it makes it a little mushy and so you go, oh no! <laughs> And you know the funny thing with me sometimes is you spit it out and you can't wash your mouth enough. You go, when you do it maybe three or four times. Why? It's because it's stuck in your memory now. And this is the thing about hatred. Hatred does the same thing, friends. It is that root of bitterness that comes into your life that James talks about. And he just sits there and ponder. You know the word ponder? You roll it over and over and over again. That's what ponder is. And this is what hatred is. Oh, they've done that thing to me. And that affects your whole life. In fact, friends, it is a poison. Hatred is a poison. I need to tell you this. It produces bitterness that eats away at your heart and at your mind. You will constantly find yourself mulling it over and over and over and over and over and over. And on the outside, you like that apple. Everybody walks past you and they go, Look at that friendly person. Look at that smile. But they don't know there's a worm of poison on the inside of you. And it's just waiting for the right time to bang. Yuck. Hatred's not a good thing. It destroys the Christian's witness. You say, wait a minute, I thought we were going to talk about love this morning. Where are you going with this? Who knows that love hurts? <laughs> You've got to tell the truth. John speaks about love, but he wants to lay down these foundations. He said, look, I want to give you the utmost is murder. You find hatred. Hatred is the next step to murder. Hatred is not good. It destroys. And then there's the plane of indifference. Indifference. I don't care. See how John writes it in 1 John chapter 3.16. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So that picture that I gave you coming into a marriage, when you come into the body of Christ, you lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. I don't care what's your background. I care where you are now in the body of Christ. I don't care what you've done. I care where you are now, forgiven under the blood of Christ. And he says it there. But whoever has this world's goods, what is that? Mula, team. Who's got the goods of this world? 
and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? You see, indifference. I don't care. I'm made. I don't care about them. That's what he's talking about. And have you noticed how he, he brings it from brethren to brother? He brings it down to a singular. He says, you see that brother struggling. And you don't care. Indifference. There's a lot of people who live in this plane. They just look after numero uno. Just me. There's a lot of people who live like that in relationships. But they call themselves children of God. Well, John says this morning, well, in fact, but whoever has this world's good and sees his brother and he shuts up his heart, how does the love of God live in him? How? You tell me. How can you explain it to somebody? But you see, the thing is, friends, the test here is to do good, not not to do bad. Does that make sense? I wrote it out and it didn't help and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to explain it to you like that. The test is to do good. Some people say, I'm not doing bad. I'm okay. No, no. He's asking you to do good here. Do you get it? I'm reading my Bible. I pray every day. I take the trash can out. I do all of these things. I feed the dog, the cat and all of that. No, no. He's asking you to do good when you see that you can do good. This is what he's saying here. But there's a lot of people with indifference. Isaiah 1 verse 16. Uh, the prophet writes down, he says, Wash yourself, make yourself clean. Put away the evil from your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Now, that is the things that you need to do. See? Cease to do evil. But what did he say then? Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the offender, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. But what does he say? Learn to do good. Have you noticed he says learn? It's not something that comes natural to you and me. It's not something that comes natural. Let me put it to you this way. You will not experience the joy of receiving until you experience the joy of giving. That's when you realize the true fact of receiving. Giving. Jesus gave his life away. God sent his son. Now he's touching on this. It's this thing of indifference. You see, there's three conditions you must have. He's quickly touching on. Okay, I'm hurrying on. Three conditions you must have to be able to help your brother. One, he mentions it there. He says you need to have the means to meet your brother's needs. He says whoever has the world's goods... If you have the goods, look, honestly, if you don't have the goods, you can't help your brother. So he touches on that. He says, if you have the means to do that, do it. Okay, secondly, he says there, he needs to know that there is a need that exists. He says, and if you see your brother's need, there's a need. And then he says, you need to be loving to want to share what you've got. You should not shut up your heart to your brother. You see, this is an amazing thing, dear friends. People always love to talk about tithing. Yes? Tithing, tithing, tithing. Now let me just do a quick test here. Have you ever heard me preaching about tithing in this church? Because tithing is Old Testament. Yes, it's in the Bible and it existed. But it was for the nation of Israel. Okay? Oh, but you are spiritual Israel. No, 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 don't go there. That's a different message. 
But listen to this. In the Old Testament, he says that a tenth of what you've got belonged to the Lord. And how much belonged to you? Ninth out of a tenth. So you gave a tenth to the Lord. Oh, and today churches are jumping up and down. Oh, we need to bring tithing and tithing. Bring me a tenth. Oh, is it before tax or after tax? Have you had that one before? Okay, which one is it now? Oh, which one is going to bring more money? Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's uh, before tax because it's a little bit more. No, no, no. In the New Testament, he changed, friends. Let me explain. He talks about offering. Now, we only take up an offering in this church. I will never ask and put for you. But why do we take up an offering? Because we've got responsibilities. We pray this all. We look out for people and we help people as well. Yes? Now, in the Old Testament, a tenth belonged to the Lord. And nine parts, you could live as much as you want to, man. But in the New Testament, let me tell you, friends, every single thing belongs to God. It ain't yours. That's why I don't preach tithing in this church. It's an Old Testament concept. You say, prove it to me. Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here we go. Paul, he says to the church, he says, I urge you, brothers, I beg you, brothers, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. If my body is given to God, everything that I possess belongs to God. Friend, let me tell you, what you have today as a child of God is just filtering through you. It ain't yours. And I said it once. I love paintings, brothers. I love the true paintings. I just love them. It's just something I love. I, and the reason why I love true paintings is somebody sat there and they took the time with, with a little uh, paint and they paint everything. That's why I love it. It takes effort. It's not a print. And you pay money for that effort. I love them. People who were in my house can see a few genuine paintings. And I love them, man. If you come in there, I'll, take, I'll tell you a story about every painting because there's a story to be told. And I put so much value into it. But here is the thing, friend. If you walk into my house, not this afternoon, but one day. If you walk into my house and you see my most beloved painting, there's a problem in that statement. It ain't my most beloved painting. It's just a beloved painting. And you say, wow, I, I love that. Can I have that? And if I for one inkling say, no, it's mine. Me money paid for it. <laughs> the title deed of that ain't mine. Then how in the world am I going to be in a position that I see a brother in need, sell that painting and give it to that brother? How am I going to do that? Are we on the same plane here? There's a lot of people in the church of God who's dwelling on the level of indifference. It is just floating through. Please let me tell you, we are privileged. We are just privileged by the grace of God. It can change in a wink of an eye. Are you still going to serve Him? Is your faith still going to last like Abel's faith? Or are you going to be like Cain where his faith didn't last? And you go from indifference down to hatred, down to murder. It's so easy. See, this is a powerful message from John, isn't it? Then finally, let me touch on this. Christian compassion. That is the highest level that you can live on. 1 John chapter 3, 18. My little children, let us laugh not in tongue. You see, let us not just love in tongue. Hey, my brother, I love you. Come here, let me give you a brotherly rub you on your shoulders. Come on, brother, I love you so much. No, no. Let it not be just tongue, but in deed and in truth. That is Christian compassion. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure your hearts before Him. For if your hearts condemn us, 
God is greater than your hearts and know all things. Beloved, if your hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, receive from Him. We, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing. I want to refer you now to verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Love one another. I read through this passage here. I read way into chapter 4. I went into chapter 5. 38 times. I want to give you some homework. Go and read the passage this afternoon. Read it tomorrow. Read it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday about the love of God. Here is this old apostle, this pastor. He writes this letter. He says there's four planes that you can operate on. God's love. God's compassion. Or are you one of those people who's going to be indifferent? Or are you still carrying hatred around in your heart? Remember the apple then. Remember the bitterness then that's going to come out. And it's going to come out in a strange way. There you were just perfectly driving down the road, minding your own business. And somebody cut you off. It wasn't even, it wasn't even dangerous. It's just somebody came in front of you and it was perfectly safe. But you see, you were at that boiling point where it just exploded. Lights, lights, lights. I must confess this week I did it once, but not, <laughs> but not uh, something exploding. There's just somebody who was really, really doing a ridiculous move in front, and I wanted to show the lights. Now, the problem with this is, while well, my wife comes, the problem with this is um, I, I travel a lot, and then I get rental cars. And it's so frustrating for me. In my car, the, the flickers, you know, the, 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 it's on this side. And the flash is on this side. <laughs> so, they, <laughs> so when I drive, I'm so used to it in my, in my car, you know, it's this side. But when I rent a car, you know, it's on this side. So it takes me half a day driving around. I'm honestly telling you, the rental cars, when they get a car back from me, don't need to wash the windscreen. <laughs> I just do it for them. <laughs> Give the car back and go, clean the car, leave the windscreen. <laughs> Can I get money back for the windscreen cleaning? <laughs> but there I was this week driving and, and this guy was really, he, he, he was doing a crazy thing. And I wanted to show him some lights. I know it's unchristian, but I just wanted to warn him. And when I pushed the, uh, I pushed the, the windscreen went on. <laughs> and I could just imagine him sitting there. Oh, I've cut the guy off. He's going to show me some lights now. Oh no, there's his windscreens going on. It's fine. <laughs> Friends, listen, don't be like that apple with that bitterness inside of you, that hatred just sits there, because it will, it will occupy your whole life. It will. It destroys your mind and your heart. And then one day, one day, you know, I'm finished, honestly, I, I just want to finish with this one. I work with children, okay, this year we're going to have another children's service, and I often blow up a balloon. Until it's big. And you know what happens? Because you've got warm air going into the balloon, it condenses on the inside, it becomes, it's actually spit on the inside. I want to make it ugly sound. 
and I walk up to them and I go, you blow it up so big and if you continue, what's going to happen? It bursts and you know what you get in your face? That spit. You go, ah, yuck, yeast, that's, that's yucky. But then I take a second balloon and I go, I said, you know what we need to do is talk things out. Because if you take it like that, have you done that? Mom and dad say, stop it, it's irritating. I know it's irritating. But what happens with the balloon? It, it, it deflates. Friends, come to Jesus. He will never say to you, when you go on your knees, and you say, Father, I'm so full. I'm so full. It feels as if I can burst. And you go to him and you go, he will never turn to you and say to you, you're irritating. He's, you know how he says it? He says, cast your burdens unto me. I care. That's what he says. What level are you on this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Father, it is a tough word, Father, sometimes. But we thank you it is a true word. It is a sure word. And this morning, Father, I don't want to operate on level three, uh, 2, 3, and 4, Father. I want to operate on level 1. Help us, Lord, because it doesn't come natural, we've heard. We have to learn to do good, the prophet said. Help us to learn through the Holy Spirit to do good. Father, we're going to fail. We know that.